I love our intercessors and uh, our prayer team that went out yesterday to one of our local high schools and was praying. And uh, it's so good to be doing that. We're in the spirit of that today. In fact, here in just a moment, we're going to do it and pray for all those in service. But before I do that, I want to look into the camera and say a big hello to all those that are watching online. Come on, Heartland family, help me welcome them to church today. And if I have not met you yet, uh, my name is Dusty and my wife Kendra and I serve as the lead pastors here. Such a thrill uh, to welcome you and uh, it's good to be back up here. I really, I've only preached one Sunday uh, all summer long. Uh, my last series ended May 27th. And so I'm roaring, I'm ready, like I'm fired up somebody ready to preach. It's going to be good and uh, I, I am, I'm looking forward to it. Before I do that, uh, I want, if you are a facilitator, a principal, uh, an administrator, uh, or a student, or a teacher, uh, have I covered all the gamuts? If you're in that group of people that's going back to school uh, this week or next week, my kids start on Wednesday, I want you just to stand real quick. We're going to pray for you all over the room, all you teachers. Just stand on your feet, all you students that are up there today, I want you to stand. I know a lot of you are going to go to junior high. Come on, where are my junior hires at? Let me hear from you up there, yeah? Yeah, you guys are awesome. But we're going to pray for you and bless you. I want to say something to every teacher, every administrator. First of all, I want you to know how much we value you. And as a Christian leading uh, in a society right now that needs the Word of God, I want to tell you that it's not just a job, it's a high calling. I said it's a high calling that God's given you. And I want you to know that we're standing with you and praying for you and that you have our support and we're on your team. Kendra and I are going to be lifting you up this week as you stand for God's truth. And every student that's in this room today, I want you to listen to me tell you this, that you are a leader. You're a light. You're God's number one. He has chosen you to go into your school and to make a difference. And I want you to go in there full of confidence, not in who you are, but in who God says you are. And as you go into that school, hide God's word in your heart. Be a Christian witness. Come on, you can be cool and still love Jesus. Do you hear me? Stretch your hands toward if somebody near you. Father, we pray for every teacher, every principal in our school or in our church. We pray for every student that's standing up right now. Father, I ask that your spirit would be with them this coming school year. Lord, we pray that no weapon formed against them shall prosper in advance. We ask right now that you'd be with them and bless them and keep them safe and Help them as they grow and as they learn. I pray for every teacher that's in this room today, Father. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would go with them as they pray for and minister to and mentor and love these kids to life. I pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon them. Thank you for not letting them grow weary. Thank you for giving them uh, a voice in this hour, in this time. And we thank you and we bless them today. Let them know that they go out of here with their church behind them. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody say amen. 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 Come on. We're excited for all of you guys. It's going to be great. All right. All you junior hires, y'all be dismissed. They're going up to their class because I'm not that fun to listen to. Uh, 
No, I'm kidding. A couple of quick things really quickly. First of all, come on, our Heartland Church Cafe opened up today. And uh, I, wanna, I wanna thank my wife for her leadership uh, in, in really her vision uh, in this project. Um, she has really spearheaded it and Brad Bowen and uh, all of our team that's working out there today, our new dream team. By the way, if you want a dream team to serve on, we've got a new one out there. Uh, go and talk to them uh, after the service today and they'll get you mixing coffee. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited uh, about this. Uh, I'll tell you, somebody say, why do you do this? Well, the reason is we've created it is because of relationship, that it's amazing what can happen with two people holding a cup of coffee and talking together, you know, not running out the door. Come on, everybody. A church that lingers is a church that lasts. You hear me? And that's why we're doing it. And so uh, go out there. And I know my wife would want me to say this, that all of the coffee, and I, you have to forgive me, I'm, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I don't know all the terminology, but... Uh, apparently, we're, we're working with local, is it roasters? Is that what you, is that what you call them? Local roasters to uh, Christian organizations. So every time you purchase, you're supporting local Christian organizations. And uh, I love that. Uh, and so it's awesome. Really excited. Today is Growth Track after the service today. If you'd love to spend about 45 minutes with me, uh, we've got lunch for you. I've got child care for you. And I'd love to share with you the vision of our church and learn a little bit about you and get you to where you are not just attending, but you're making a difference with a group of people that are making a difference. We want you to be a part of this community. And so I'll be over there in our student auditorium, out the doors and to your right uh, after the service today. Would love to meet you and spend a little time with you and uh, get to know you and help you uh, on your journey. You're like, man, I like this church. I like the way it feels. I, I feel like I may want to get involved around here. This is where you start. So uh, join us. Uh, for step one of the growth track, we'd love to meet you. And then, of course, Seek Week, uh, getting ready to start August 21st. Uh, this is a huge week. If you've been living under a rock and don't know anything about this, this is our week of revival. It's a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. I'll talk more about this. Some of my great friends uh, are going to be here ministering to you. By the way, some of the greatest voices in America are going to be preaching. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, Pastor Jimmy Evans is a legend. Uh, I can't even believe he said yes, uh, but he said, I'd love to come. I was like, oh, yeah, let's go. Like, I was so excited. Uh, so, I mean, I, I was totally not shocked. We're an amazing church, and we should, we, he should want to come here. That's it. Yeah. I got a little rooting section over here. Um, let's look at some scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 25. Um, I want to go right in. I'm going to tell you in advance, I really feel like I'm on assignment this morning. I feel like God's given me a very, very direct, very bold message to share with you. And uh, I'm, I'm really here to, to get our culture moving. I'll talk about that more in a second. Matthew 25, I'll read it, quite a bit of scripture, and then we'll talk about it. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And he gave them five bags of silver to one uh, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities he left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid 
the master's money. Uh, after a long time, their master returned from the trip and called to them, give me an account. What'd you do with the money, the bags of silver that I gave you? What'd you do with it? The servant whom he'd entrusted five bags came forward with five more and said, master, you gave me five bags to invest. I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. He said, how many people want God to say that to them one day? Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then came the servant with two bags of silver. Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount. So I'm going to give you many more responsibilities in the future. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man. Now pause for just a second. Isn't it funny that suddenly the master is harsh? Let me ask you a question. Up until this point in the story that we've read, has the master been harsh? No, he's been, he's been loving. A.W. Tozer uh, said this one day, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is a picture about how some people view God and, and how you view him will determine how you react whenever he rebukes you or corrects you or you feel like you've fallen short. Some view God as stingy. Some view him as unkind. Some view him as harsh. Some view him as gentle. Some view him as loving. Your view of God uh, will determine so much in your life uh, about your future. I was afraid, he said, I'd lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, come on, everybody, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered uh, crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have got some interest on it. And then he ordered, he made this order. He said, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. And then he makes a statement, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they'll have an abundance. But from those who, come on everybody say it with me, who... For those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Today begins probably my most intense month of personal ministry uh, this year. Um, I've told people many times and told you all this many times that the Bible makes reference to to pastors being shepherds and members of their uh, congregation or in their church as sheep. And so if I'm a shepherd and you're sheep, then my job is to lead you to different hills throughout the year to graze on, uh, to bring you to different places, to make sure that you're well-rounded, to make sure that you're being fed, to make sure that you're being nourished, to make sure that you're resting. Hello, somebody, you know. Uh, and, and really in the summer months, I really try to, to do the rest thing with you. I, I try to focus on our students. Personally, we, we invest uh, a couple of weeks of our summer into to, uh, students every single year. We go to our camps. We spend time around kids. We love kids. Keeps us young. Also keeps us tired. Uh, but we encourage you to take rest. You know, there's some churches that are like, you, shouldn't, you should never rest. There's always the kingdom of God that is in need of growing. And I'm just gonna tell you, I don't think that's realistic. I think I, you can't run a, a million miles an hour all the time. So there's ebbs and there's flows and there's seasons of really getting after it. Then there's seasons of resting. And in all things you worship and in all things, you, you know, make no mistake, God's always on the throne and he's always sitting in your heart and he, you should always be the first thing and the first priority. But there are different paces is what I'm trying to say, you know. And so this month uh, that we're in right now, is, uh, we're picking up the pace. And, and so this is one of the most intense months of ministry where I'm trying to focus you on on building you and getting you ready for what God wants to do in your life. 
because this coming Wednesday, my family, our, our year starts. Uh, we have school that starts and I have a first and a fifth grader and they'll be going back and we get into the ebb and the flow of our life. Our year doesn't start in January, it starts in August. And so really, I, I feel like the month of August, I gotta get you ready for what God wants to do all semester long uh, in your hearts. And today I wanna preach a message uh, entitled, Plow for Yourselves. I wanna share something that honestly, it's been cooking in me for about three months. And if you're new to our church, uh, August this month is about lingering. So at the end, many weeks, I'll pray for you. You know, I'll bless you. We'll send you out. Uh, we worship uh, while we come in. We worship as we're going out. But in the month of August, I just say time out. Let's not, let's not rush out the doors. Let's linger. We have communion that's available for you. We have worship that will do. And for you to just sit in the presence of God, you don't have to. You know, you can leave at, at any point. But, but what I'm trying to encourage you to do is to seek after the voice of God in your life. Here in the scripture, Jesus teaches a very compelling and interesting message on stewardship. Stewardship is just simply how we take care of something else that someone else has given us to watch over. You've been entrusted or empowered or, or given something or been blessed with something. And the expectation is that with whatever God has given you, you steward over it, you watch over it, you care for it, you, 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 uh, you think about it wisely. So when I was 16 years old, uh, and for my birthday, uh, my mom and dad got me a used 1998 Ford Black Ranger uh, truck. Uh, it was a gift, but it was also, uh, that what came with it was a commanded stewardship. What came with it was expectation. So along with the CD player and the really shiny wheels, uh, came this laminated sheet of paper uh, in the glove box with stewardship expectations. Come on, somebody. No friends in the car for the first six months. No music uh, going in the car for the first three months. I may have violated that one. Every month, your insurance must be paid to your dad and I at the very beginning of the month or no more car. Uh, you have a 10 p.m. curfew that you're expected to be home. Do not uh, abandon this or do not misuse this. I remember one particular day uh, after I'd gotten the car, I got in a big fight with my mom and I was like, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. And she looked at me and she said, in what exactly are you leaving in? She said, in my, I said, in my truck. She said, that's not your truck, that's my truck. I pay for that truck. I said, whatever. I went and got in the truck and took off. She called me on my phone. She said, I want you to know that I just called the police and reported my truck stolen. <laughs> you are now a felon. <laughs> Some of us are living lives that God gave us, acting like they're ours, but God says, I gave this to you to steward over. And what we learn in this story and what we understand with Jesus is that he expects us with what he gives us to steward over it, to grow it, to build it, and to make it happen. In fact, it would probably surprise many people in this room, but there is a command that, that God gives uh, to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. In fact, let me just ask you, what do you think the very first command that God ever gave was? Some people say the very first command is do not eat from the tree. No. Can you imagine if that was the very first command God gave? Be like you having a baby and you're holding that baby the very first time. Jaden or Brooklyn, you know, oh, look at this beautiful baby. Brooklyn, no. Whatever you're going to do, don't you dare. No. That's not what God did when he created us. 
When he created Adam and Eve, the very first thing that he commanded them to do, Genesis 1, then God blessed them. That's the very first thing he did. And then he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. I have called you. I am commanding you to be fruitful. I've called you to multiply. I've called you to steward. And what's interesting about God is the very first thing and the very first place that God placed Adam and Eve and gave them to steward was not something that was just ready to go in every sense of the word. It was a place that they were given to cultivate and to harvest. It was a garden, everybody. And here's what I've realized is that oftentimes when we pray, we're asking God, God, please give me blessing. Oh God, please be generous with me. We're praying for a harvest and you know what God gives us? He gives us a field. We're praying for blessing and God gives us gardens. Let me say it another way. With God, we're asking, Lord, I need fruit in my life. But God doesn't just give us fruit the way that we would imagine it. He gives us seeds to which we hold in our hands and we say, what is this? (laughs) God, God, I asked for influence here. God, I asked for healing. I asked for authority. I asked for blessing. I didn't ask for this. But God says, I gave you what you actually asked for, but I just didn't give it to you the way that you thought it was going to look. What I've given you is actually greater. What I've given you, you can actually multiply and you can cultivate. Because you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in just one seed. Actually, what's in your hand is limitless potential, but it's going to require you to put seed in the ground, and it's going to require you to put some effort into it, and every promise that God gives us comes as a seed that we have to cultivate. We got to cultivate the ground. We got to plow the soil. We got to water the plants. We got to sow for ourselves. In fact, let me just say it this way. (laughs) This is something I've realized in my life, that every blessing, every answered prayer, and every breakthrough started as a command, an instruction, or an idea. (laughs) How many people know that is not inspiring? (laughs) Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear, hey, if I haven't answered prayer, I'm going to have to do something. But every blessing starts with a command. The blessing of the promised land to the the children of Israel started with Abram. Abraham, go to the land that I will show you. The promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 began with repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're getting ready to come up on 15 years of our Reveal Conference. And I'm just here to tell you today that many people come to Reveal and they love it. And I have people, we go to churches all the time and people say, Reveal has touched our kids' lives, it touched my my child's life. I need you to know, Reveal Conference did not start as a blessing. It started as an idea. It started as just something, it started as a seed that God put in my heart. And if you want the blessing of God, you have to obey the instruction and the commands of God because every blessing starts as a command. Now, 
I want to pause that thought for just a second. We're going to hold it, and I'm going to talk about something that's going to seemingly, you know, it's going to seem like it does nothing to do with what I've just said. But it's going to come full circle, so I need you to bear with me. Last week, I shared with you about how I feel like we're living in um, a really unique time in our country right now, uh, here in America. In fact, we're living in a time in our country where for the very first time, Christians are the minority. And the truth is, Christians have never really understood persecution. We're coming up on an age where we're really here in America gonna start to understand persecution. For, for the very first time, we are living in, well, I shouldn't say for the very first time, in the, early in our nation we experienced this, but we are very much in the middle of a, a civil unrest. Kind of like where half, it's like half and half, you know? There's like a line seemingly down the middle. And over the last several months, Kendra and I have dealt with, we have wrestled with, I don't even know how to explain it. It has been this internal rumbling that we have not known how to shake. And we've talked about it personally and honestly very privately. Uh, But there is something that has been stirring in us and I'll just say it for what it is. In our nation right now, truth is under attack. Make no mistake about it. The kingdom of heaven is under attack. And on several occasions over the last several years, I have felt this, and I'll just say it for what it is. It's, it's almost like a, a, an anger has risen up in me. And can I just be honest with you? At first, I, I really felt guilty about it. God, I shouldn't be reacting like this to what's going on around me, you know, Lord, at almost in the beginning, I tried to pray it away, you know, like, Lord, I pray this away from me. I don't want to have this kind of a spirit. And, and I, I, I very much internalized it with God. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very typically very calculated about what I post on social media. There's others, maybe not so much, but I, I just, you know, I'm very careful about that kind of stuff. But I felt this, you know. I'm just curious. Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Like, wave your hand at me if, you, if, you, if I, you're identifying with what I'm saying. And some months ago, I think the Holy Spirit started to give me clarity about this. And if you're one of these people that it's like this righteous indignation or this righteous anger has been rising up on the inside of you, I want to tell you why I believe that is. I believe I've not been able to pray it away because the kingdom is inside of me. The kingdom of God lives in me. The Holy Spirit resides in me, dwells inside of me. Uh, A couple days ago, we were in Seattle with a big group of pastors, and we we were up really late, and so we had to stop by this place, and we got food. We brought it back, and I think I had like a burger or something. And that night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and the burger, it just wasn't, the, the word that we would use, it didn't agree with my system. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Like, like something did not agree with me, you know. And, and what I've realized over these last several months is what, what has been happening is some things have been trying to get in my spirit that my spirit doesn't agree with. That's why things irritate you. It would be like you eating something that doesn't agree. The world is trying to force a kingdom down your throat that the spirit inside of you doesn't like. And so something's bubbling and rising up inside of you right now. And I'm going to tell you that the kingdom is coming alive in my guts right now. 
And I'm feeling a push right now. In fact, this, this coming fall, I'm going to talk a lot about the kingdom. Because the, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and there is the kingdom of darkness. But what has me especially concerned right now in this season is how I'm watching the enemy thwart and deceive and distort and twist scripture. And he is, I'm watching the enemy pick off Christians right now. It's like, the only way I would explain it as a pastor is I feel like Paul in Galatians where he said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to, come on, everybody say it with me, you're turning to a different gospel. And I think that's what's happening right now is there is this thwarting and this manipulation of the truth of the word of God. There's a distortion of the gospel that is not the truth of what the Bible actually teaches. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. In fact, Barna did a study about Bible engagement uh, a couple of years ago, and, and he started looking at how uh, people engage with the Bible in our culture today. And he talked about a, a Bible-centered life, a Bible-engaged life, Bible-friendly, Bible-neutral, Bible-disengaged. And, and what he looked and what he found was people who interact with the Bible frequently, and they would say that the Bible is transformative in their relationships and shaping their choices is only 5% of the population of America. That only 5% in a world, by the way, that claims about half of the world claims to be Bible-believing Christians, only about 5% are letting the word of God actually dictate, drive their life. Where a lot of people in churches, I feel like, are, they're parked is right here. Right here in the middle, where we're just gonna be Bible-friendly. You know, I, I love God and, and I, tell me about the word and how it can sort of help me with some spiritual insight and spiritual wisdom. And this is where a lot of the church is just kind of living right now. It's hanging out kind of in Bible friendly and some of them are Bible engaged. But then we have a whole group of people over here that are totally disengaged. And they don't believe it. They're infrequently with it. It has no impact on their life whatsoever. That's 48% of our population right now. And, and, and what I'm realizing is this is the problem with Christians in our country right now. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Sin sinners never surprise me. I'm not mad about it. I mean, I'm mad because it's sin and, and I stand for the kingdom of God, but I'm never surprised. I'm never looking at people who act like sinners and be like, I can't believe they're acting that way. They're, they're acting like sinners act. They're playing their role. But what surprises me is when Christians don't act like Christians are supposed to act. When Christians are not living here, they're living over here. They're becoming disengaged from the word of God. And I'm here to tell you today that as a pastor, it's bothering me because I'm seeing that sort of truth and idea spill over into the church. And I'm seeing people in the church going, oh, that's good. We just want to love. We don't want to offend. We don't want to upset anybody. And as Christians, you better realize that when a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light is at war, you must choose a side. <laughs> oh, I have a lot to say about this over the next several months. I'm telling you, God's given me a, a conviction and a courage right now. And we're going to talk about this a lot over the next several months. But I refuse to stand idly by. And by the time it's all said and done, some of you are going to love me. Some of you are going to hate me. But we're going to preach and stand for the kingdom of heaven in this church, everybody. <laughs> I'm just, my heart's burst. I got so much I want to say. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Uh, so 
let me, let, me, let me just talk to you and give you some of the good news, okay, if I can for a few minutes. I have so much I want to say, but this is going to take time. Let me share with you some of the good news. The good news is that the gospel is growing right now in almost the entire world. So of all the nations, vast majority are seeing salvation growth faster than the population growth. For instance, in Thailand right now, for every 100 Buddhist babies born, 103 Buddhist Thais are converting to Christ. The salvation rate is taking place faster than the population rate uh, in all but 20 nations in the world. By the way, America is one of those nations. So Christian revival is literally sweeping the world. But in our country, what's happening is very interesting as it relates to the future. Now, we have uh, that we can look at today. We, we have about 5,000 um, years, roughly, of recorded history. What is happening in our world right now has only happened 25 times prior. Uh, what we are seeing in, in the world right now is the collapse of a sole superpower, which is America. America has acted in this, pack, in, in this fashion as the sole superpower since about 1991. And as a global power, it has kept peace, it has looked out, it has, become the, it has been on the global front, but it is on the verge right now of collapse. In fact, there have been, America is the 26th sole superpower recorded in history in over 5,000 years. And if you study this, what you see is a history of cycles. The universe very much operates uh, this way in, in cycles. You've got, you know, the earth around the sun, 365 days. You've got the moon around the earth, 30 days. You've got, you know, a spring, summer, uh, fall, and winter, except in Texas where it's summer, 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 snowmageddon. Uh, that's how it works here, apparently. <laughs> but Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. What has happened before will come again. And so in our world, there are, there are religious cycles, there are political cycles, there are historical cycles, there are geopolitical cycles that are happening. But then that's happening in the world, and then it's happening nationally as well in different countries. There are religious cycles and political cycles and geopolitical cycles. And, and, at, and at a global level, there are cycles of what we call world orders. Okay, In fact, there are three different types of of world orders that exist. I want to show these to you really quickly, and we're going to go somewhere with this. The first is what's called a multipolar world. In a multipolar world, there are three or more countries that have equal or close to it uh, that amount of power, and they are fighting to control the world order. So in a multipolar world, you have to realize that you have world war, you have poverty, you have disease, and then what begins to happen is as these world, uh, as these countries are fighting to become the, the supreme world order, uh, some begin to lose power, and we move into a second world order, which is called a bipolar world order. It's where two and countries have or they're vying for power. And uh, this is better than a, a multipolar world, but it's still, it's still miserable for, for the world in general. In fact, the Cold War period was a time very much like this in our history where the United States and the USSR uh, were at war. And then what happens is one of them loses their power eventually, and then there's one superpower left standing, and that's what we call a uni unipolar world order, okay? And in a unipolar world order, one country has global power, and no rivals really, really challenge it, okay? And historically speaking, this has been best for the advancement of humanity. 
Because when one country has global power, there isn't global war that's taking place. There's, there's smaller regional wars that are taking place in different countries, but overall, the world is not at war. And so what often happens in a, in, in a unipolar world is, is massive development occurs because instead of taking money and paying for tanks and planes and guns, the money is going to libraries and hospitals and schools and technology and development and infrastructure and churches. By the way, world missions thrives under a unipolar world because there is mostly peace. You understand what I'm saying? Like people want to travel freely to these countries to spread the gospel. Nobody wants to go to Russia right now. You know what I'm saying? But in a unipolar world, missionaries travel. They reach parts of the world that the gospel hasn't been, uh, has, hasn't been preached. Anytime in history where there's been a unipolar world, think Roman Empire, Mongolian Empire, British Empire, there have been seasons, all of those have been seasons of rapid revival in the church uh, globally. But here's why I'm concerned, okay? I believe that we are on the verge of a collapse of America as a sole superpower. We are on the verge and right now are, are transitioning very much to a multipolar world with what I believe most likely is America and China and Russia uh, fighting for global dominance in the world. And historically speaking, when that transition has occurred, world war has always followed. Now, I'm not, I'm not prophesying this or anything like this, thus saith the Lord, but this is my best guess. I believe that we are more than likely going to see a world war in the next 10 years or less. But by the way, there's never been a century in recorded history without one. And you wouldn't know it by watching the news and what the media is feeding you and all the fear and all the frenzy. But what we're living in today as a society is probably the most peaceful time in the history of the world that we're living in. But right now, China and Russia are both on record stating their desire for a multipolar world. And they're going to work together. They have every reason to work together. That's why Russia's end goal in Ukraine is not just Ukraine. Don't believe that for a second. President Putin wants to return uh, his country to the glory of the USSR, and he wants America destroyed. He wants one, he does not want one country, or at least our country, ruling the world, enforcing a liberal and democratic world order based on Judeo-Christian ethics. Their goal is to build a multipolar world based on authoritarianism, and Ukraine is just shot number one. <laughs> I think he wants 18 more. But here's why I'm telling you this. This is why you got to, why are you talking about all this? Here's what you have to know. When, when the world enters into a multipolar world, the church has always declined historically. Always. Here's what's interesting. Of the 25 nations before America, no sole superpower was ever assassinated. Meaning they were just conquered on their own. You want to know how they were overthrown? They committed internal suicide. They imploded from the inside out. It was, all, it was all internal. Godlessness, compromise, selfishness takes over. In fact, Proverbs 14 tells us it clear, very clearly, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin, con sin condemns any people. And I believe right now that America in general is in a great testing season. 
I think it's the principle of Deuteronomy 8. What happens in Deuteronomy 8? God speaks to the Israelites in this passage. Listen to what he says to them. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs, gushing out into the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, oil, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. And I feel like this is where America has been now. For some time, we have eaten of the good of the land. We have enjoyed like a, a thriving economy and a thriving uh, space and a thriving uh, technology. And we have led in so many areas. But look what the scripture says. But be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build your fine houses and settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will, come on everybody, you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Be careful because if you don't, you will forget me in the middle of your prosperity. And I actually think the prosperity test might be the greatest test that we can face in life. Because when we forget God, moral decay ensues and it weakens us from the inside out. Now, <laughs> some of you don't know whether to praise God or go build a bunker right now. Some of you are like, I'm headed to Sam's after this is over. Stocking up on chicken noodle soup, and toilet paper. Why am I talking about this? This is not even about America. I'm not a Christian nationalist standing up on this stage right now. I am a, I care about the global entity of Christ and the kingdom of God is what I care about. But anytime the world moves into a multipolar world, the church always declines. And in that time, we have a responsibility. I think it's laid out in Ephesians 3. It says his intent was that now and in the future, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. This phrase, rulers and authorities, is used 10 times in the Greek in the New Testament. Three times it refers to earthly rulers, four times it refers to demonic rulers, and four times it refers to both earthly and demonic rulers. In other words, a biblical worldview concerns itself with the spiritual place, but also concerns itself with the physical place too. It concerns itself with the rulers and the authorities in the earth as well. And what we must realize right now is that God wants to use the church 
He wants to use the people in the church. He wants to use you to become an ambassador, to make known his intent about the gospel. And I'll even say it even stronger than that. We must become spiritual activists, not national activists, not, not uh, activists just about weather, not activists about certain ideals that are taking place. I'm talking about activists about the kingdom of God. And we must take that culture around with us and take a stand for him. Remember the verse says, it was then and it is now his intent that the church make, full, make known the manifold wisdom of God. And I, I wrote this down, it's kind of long, but because the church is God's government on earth, the condition of our government and culture on earth is a direct reflection of the effectiveness and heart of the church and its spiritual leaders and might I say all the people who make up the church. Now, let me just bring this thought full circle together today. I believe that we, as the church of the living God, have become asleep at the wheel. I believe that our churches in America today have become shallow and overly produced and producing content that says come for 55 minutes. It's programmed every time. We've stopped working the garden. And because we've been asleep, we've experienced the moral decline of the family where less than 50% of the family are nuclear families, a mom, a dad, and their kids living in the same uh, group and in the same house. And when that begins to happen, kids begin to lose identity. They grow up wounded. They become shallow. They can't function. They grow up in a society that says, I don't know if I'm a man or I'm a woman. I don't know what my pronouns are. I don't know everything. I'm here to tell you that unless the church of the living God returns to what we've been called to do, we will lose a little bit of steam. But we have to understand that if we'll respond to this challenge, it is crucial not only in our world, it's crucial in our own backyard. And John 4 tells us this. It says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshiper everybody will worship the father in spirit and worship him in truth and I'm here to tell you that Christians must worship in spirit and in truth two key areas spirit and in truth you say what do you mean in spirit we got to return back to a spirit-led spirit-driven spirit-empowered spirit-chasing spirit-hungry what does that mean we got to learn we got to learn to worship again everybody we gotten too good at things that don't matter. We gotten too good at producing like, oh, we got the lights and we got the screens and, and we got the perfect environment and we got the smoke and we got the right song at just the right moment. We got people standing with coffees in their hands, strolling in 15 minutes late to worship, thinking somehow this is gonna produce a disciple that's fervent and passionate about God. I'm here to tell you real worship's not overly produced. It's not perfectly sounding. This isn't a concert. We're not here for your entertainment. We're here to chase after the living God. I'm not saying that a good environment's not important. I'm not saying that it doesn't need to sound good in order to help people sing. But just like too much messy isn't good, too much health and polish isn't good. I'm asking for people who are not afraid to get on their knees in the presence of God, to chase after the heart of God. Let me implore you, we cannot be a dead and dormant church, everybody. We've got to be a church that's alive. We've got to be a church that's not apathetic, that's not unpassionate, that's willing to chase after God 
more than everything else. This is not a concert. You're not church attenders. This is not a restaurant. It's not a country club that you dine at. It's the church of the living God. And we're called to worship in spirit and in truth. We're called to become a generation again that's hungry for the things of God. Is there anybody in this room today that's resonating with this message that says, I will be part of the catalyst of change that God is calling me to? I'm part of the church of the living God. Come on, say, somebody say, I'm part of the church of the living God. We got to teach our young people how to pray again. We got to teach students how to pray again. You walk into certain environments, kids don't even know how to pray. You want to know why they don't know how to pray? Because they've never seen anybody pray. They don't see moms and dads on their knees, on the side of their bed, or in their living rooms. They don't walk in in the middle of the night and see a dad that's just saying, Lord, I pray for my son right now. I ask God that you move on his heart. My, bro- or my, my father tells stories about five little Dean boys lined up in their underwear. And they're kicking each other as mom and dad are kneeling down and they're praying. And they're, they're not even paying attention. But a spirit of prayer got put in their system. You don't know why? Because while they were kicking every now, they'd look over and they'd hear Bill Deeds say, God, I pray for my sons right now. Lord, I pray that a revival would start in their hearts. I ask that you stir up the truth and the conviction of the word of God. And somewhere along the way, what they saw got in their heart. And it became a transference. I'm here to tell you, we got to return back to a spirit of prayer, everybody. to be seated worship him in spirit worship him with everything where my relationship with God isn't convenient it's not something I just do on Sundays I live a Bible centered life where I'm hungry for what he wants to do in me we got to worship him in spirit, and then we got to worship him in truth. Listen to me. God has a truth. The Bible has a truth. And if he has a truth, listen to me, then that means that heaven has a side. And you better decide in this culture right now what side you're on. There, there, there can't be. I, I'll tell you, I've been guilty of this. I don't want to wallow into it. Because I I want people to like me. I want to stand up here and go out in the lobby and not get emails like some of the emails I've gotten that says, I wish you wouldn't wade into these kinds of things. And don't you know about what's happening here? Don't you know that my son or my daughter struggles with this and struggles with that? And if I, you know, I'm just here to tell you today, I understand all those things. My compassion runs deep as a pastor. 85, 90% of the time, I'm a really likable guy. But I told somebody this morning that one day I'm going to stand before the Father. And I'm going to be held for the way I led you. And I can't let you get picked off like I'm seeing so many Christians get picked off right now. Well, this is acceptable and this is okay and this shouldn't be that bad. And I'm here to tell you, the Bible is clear about what is sin and what is not. 
Bible tells us in Revelation that Laodicea, one of the churches that they wrote to, was spit out of the mouth of God because they wanted to sit in the middle and not take a side. You're going to have to pick a side. Joshua, what did he say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You got to know truth. You got to stand for truth. There's just too much at stake. I'm going to tell you, there's too much on the line. Our kids and our families are on the line right now. From a spirit of wokeness, the church needs to awaken from. Because I'm going to tell you, if you don't start getting involved in your kid's life, the school systems and this evil demonic spirit that's trying to take over your kid's will. I'm just here to tell you today. I do lunches with kids. I'm going to tell you, I, I know what I'm talking about. Because I do lunches with people all the time. I did a legacy lunch a couple of weeks ago. Had four couples in there. And I, I'm meeting with these couples. And we talk about church and we talk about um, just their lives and how they're doing. And all four of them were contending for their kids. Th- three, of, three of the families have adult children now. All of them had children who were away from God. Listen to me, you either learn to fight your battles in the spirit or you lose your battles in the flesh. Because God has given you a field. He's put a seed in your hand and he's asking, what are you going to be willing to do? God wants to move in our midst and I'm calling us back to a spirit of true worship. I'm chasing after God. I'm telling you, God's put such a courage in me. I've told God, I said, God, what if people don't respond the right way to what you're asking me to do? He said, it doesn't matter. You got to preach the word of God. You okay here today? I'm going to close with a verse. It's been the greatest and most impactful verse in my heart lately. It's this verse in Hosea 10. Some context on this verse is... The, the, the children of Israel have no king. Israel's in a sinful, rebellious state. They're, everything is in complete disarray in their life. No king, which the king, you know, they prayed for and it was everything for them. And now they're before God and they're saying, God, our vines are empty. You know, our, we're laying dormant before you. We've got Nothing. The verse says in Hosea 10, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of the unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers you with righteousness. Again, in a sinful state, in a rebellious place, no king, disarray. God, what do we do? We're coming to you. Our land's dried up. Everything is gone the way that we thought it should be. Notice what the Bible says. Notice what God says. He says, so for yourselves. You're coming to me right now. You're asking me for help. Don't you understand the principle of sowing and reaping? For years in your life, you've sown this and now you've reaped it and you're surprised. But, and he says this, don't you realize that if you sow for yourselves righteousness, you'll reap unfailing love? <coughs> so you've got to break up your unplowed ground. 
I love that. You, you know what this verse is saying? It's saying that there, there's certain ground that if you try to go and drop seed into that soil, these people are crying out to God, the son, our vines are empty, we're in trouble, we have no king, what are we going to do, what are we going to do, we're empty, we're desolate, we're guilty, we're in despair, our kids are falling away, our, our land is empty, God, our hearts are divided, what do we do? And God's answer is so simple, you've been sowing the wrong seed, now you got to sow the right seed. In other words, if you want my presence, you're going to have to start breaking up some ground again. What you sow, you're going to reap. How many people know that if you try to take seed and put it in a ground that's unfertile ground, that seed's just going to fall to the wayside? If it's dry, so like we got cracks out, out there right now. Like it's just, you do too, in your yard and everywhere else. Because if you're not taking care of the soil, we, we know this to be true. Like if you sow discord into your marriage, guess what you'll reap in your marriage? If you don't prepare the soil, if you don't teach your kids, uh, if you teach them that life revolves around them, guess what? They'll grow up. They'll live selfish lives their whole life. You'll reap selfish kids. But remember, break up your unplowed ground. It always starts as a command. Before blessing comes, there has to be a command. Unplowed ground is hard and stubborn and resistant to seed. and You can't have harvest in a soil that hasn't been broken up. So he says... It's time to seek the Lord. Come on, it's time to plow the ground. It's time to plow the soil. Can I just tell you, that's what this month is all about. That's what Seek Week is all about. Dusty, it's back to school time. This is the craziest time to be doing something like this. You know, we got kids and, you know, that's like four services in three days. And our kids are in athletics and we got all this other stuff going on. Yeah, but we got to plow the ground, everybody. We can't just sit back. We can say, God, I want you to move. God, I want you to change me. God, I want you to do a work in my family. God, I want you to move my heart. God, I want you to do a work in us. And I think God looks at us and he says, well, if that's the case, then sow for yourselves, everybody. And I'm gonna tell you, that's what Seek Week's gonna be about. It's not a conference. It's not a creative space. It's a place with no fanfare. Real simple, prayer and worship and message and presence of God. And prayer and worship and presence and message of God. Come on, I'm hungry for the presence of God. I need his presence right now. I just feel like I'm breaking up some soil. Even today in this church, I'm breaking up some soil. Come on, is there anybody today that doesn't want to sit by idly, that wants to worship, that says, God, if you want me to plow some soil, I'll plow some soil. Anybody that will stand up and say, God, if you want to do a work in me, I want you to do a work in my heart. I want you to do a work in my generation. Father, right now, we just ask that the Holy Spirit would just begin to speak in this place. Oh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Come on, I just want you to begin to pray. In fact, stand on your feet all over this room. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit begin to move in this place right now. We ask God that your spirit begins to come. In fact, team, I want you to begin to sing right now. We're just going to begin to make an anthem song to Jesus in this place. Come on. We're just raising our hands, and we're declaring your goodness in this place. Come on. Jesus in the streets. 
So here's what we're gonna do over the next couple of minutes and honestly over really the whole month of August. I just feel like some of us in this room today just need to make some space to plow some ground. You need to make some space for Jesus to move in your hearts and in your lives. And so we're, we're calling it like a soft dismissal. Over this next little bit, you can leave at any point. Nobody's gonna get mad at you. It's, it's, it's not incorrect or correct. It's really a space that you want to make of it. Typically, I would pray for you, bless you, and then we would move out. But over these next several weeks, as we prepare for Seek Week, we're just gonna take some time to get our hearts ready. And so over here on the sides uh, is the elements for communion. And uh, they're back in the back as well. Uh, And I want our prayer team to come. Maybe in this time you need prayer about something in your life. Maybe you need it with your kids. I'll be standing down here to pray with anybody who needs prayer today. Maybe you just want to come and just kneel at the altar and just make some space for God uh, just to speak into your life. Let, Let me tell you, let me be real clear. The altar is, in the Old Testament, it represented the meeting place between people and God. And there's power, you know, today it's symbolic, like, you know, nothing's getting sacrificed down at the altar. But man, I'm telling you, there have been many times in my life where I have significantly or symbolically taken a step of faith or taken a step and prayed or knelt at an altar because of the symbolic nature of what it meant. Just like sometimes where I get on my knees, uh, and I do it in worship a lot around here. You know, it's, it's just I want to get in a, the lowest position I can be in. Because I'm going to have to stand up here, and I'm going to have to say a lot of hard things. And especially in this time and in this age right now, i got to lead. And God, I just want to make sure that there's nothing in me that's me. i got to make sure that as, you know, a man who's, who's on his knees, it's hard for him to fall. You know what I'm saying? And so just in an atmosphere today of you reaching out. And asking God to speak to you and, 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 and seeking after heaven. Like, let me say it this way. Jesus said this to disciples, can you just pray with me a little bit here? Can you just seek after me and chase after me for a little while? Can you make some room in your life for me to speak to you? And maybe for you, it's just letting the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. Because here's what I know. A lot of you are dealing with stuff right now, not just with your families. You're dealing with it on your jobs. Some of you have faced persecution on your jobs in a different place. Some of you feel so dry spiritually in your life. You know the only way you can get out of a dry season is to break up some ground and prepare for the rain. And let me tell you, I believe this month the Holy Spirit is going to rain down on us. I believe you're going to feel his presence in a way that you've not felt in such a long time. For some of you, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you about solutions, and things that you've been facing, and you're going to see revival in your kids. But it's got to start. With you plowing some soil, everybody. With you getting in an atmosphere and a place of saying, God, I'm chasing after you. And so our team's going to begin to worship. And they're just going to do that for as long as you want it, basically. As long as you sit in the presence of God, they're going to do it today. But would you just make some room for them in your hearts, everybody? Father, I bless this time. I thank you for your spirit. As our prayer team comes today, Lord, I ask that your love would just be poured out in this room. And I ask God right now that you would just begin to manifest the glory of God and speak the strength of the Holy Spirit over every person. And we love you now for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen Amen. together. Amen. Come on, let's just worship Jesus. You're officially dismissed, dismissed, whatever that looks like. God bless you guys.
the veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory. For you are raised to Beautiful name. 
Sweet. 